do you believe? What do you feel? Guilt. I feel guilt, Maul. And no matter what I do, no, no matter how hopeless I am, no matter how confused, that guilt is always there, reminding me of the truth. What truth? That the idea that caused you to question your reality came from me. Planted the idea in my mind. What is she talking about? The reason I knew Inception was possible was because I, I did it to her first. I did it to my own wife. Why? We were lost in here. I knew we needed to escape, but she wouldn't accept it. She had locked something away, something. A truth that she had once known, but, but chose to forget. She couldn't break free. So I decided to search for it. I went deep into the recess of her mind and found that secret place. And I broke in. And I planted an idea. A simple little idea that would change everything. Her world wasn't real. The death was the only escape. You're waiting for a train. train will take you, but you can't know for sure, and it doesn't matter. Now tell me why! Because she's in a Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello everyone and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 96, Inception Part 2. That's right. It rolls on. Clearly you can see in the title that this is Part 2, so if you skip Part 1, go back, give that a listen, and get caught up to where we're at. Yeah, I mean some people might have been saving Part 1 to listen to it all together. Who knows? Yeah, and if you did, good for you. I mean, I think in the old days of our podcast, when we were doing two-parters, we probably were trying to release them only a couple days apart, but... Right. You know... We were doing other heavy hitters similar to Inception, like Bug Juice. And Roadhouse. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think 
most listeners probably prefer having at least a week in between the episodes. <laughs> yeah, that's good. They I need know, it. So, I mean, some of our diehards are probably on board. Sometimes, but. yeah. I mean, sometimes when we go more than a week, I do have people texting me like, "Where's the app?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, although not so much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Which sucks because the show's really been on a good run. Although yeah. the download number is not doing too bad. Yeah, well, I think maybe just some of our old school listeners, you should just reach out to them be personally. Like, hey, and we be need like, hey, you back. We feel like we've been on a good run. Are you still on, with us? Please. Like that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I can do that. So we left off Inception about an hour into the film. It's in an hour and a half. Or it's, we got about an hour and a half left. Um, <laughs> Which is basically, we're in it now. This is what they've set out to do so the whole actual quote-unquote heist sequence is more than the other half of the movie right the actual mission of inception itself is the main body of the film basically and you could kind of look at the first hour as kind of like the viewer's introduction to the team and also to basically this whole concept this idea of dream sharing and whatnot so the crew, which consists of Cobb, Arthur, Ariande, Eames, Yusef, and Saito, get together. Well, all of them plus Robert Fisher occupy the first class, first class cabin of a 747 flying from Sydney to Los Angeles. Uh, Robert is accompanying the body of his recently deceased father. We should point out, I guess we didn't mention, um, Robert... Fisher played by Cillian Murphy who is kind of a oh yeah another regular. Nolan yeah he's r- literally in like all of them I mean even he's in all three Batman movies is uh, he in Interstellar I don't I think remember. so no I, I don't remember him being in that although I have the is least he in the memory. Prestige <laughs> I mean come on swing and a miss for Matt on yeah, that one alright so <laughs> he's certainly not in a main role in the Prestige I'm not going to rule out that he pops up in some way. Yeah, but he is kind of like a regular. And a lot of these people, with the exception of uh, DiCaprio and Ellen Page, would be popping up in um, The Dark Knight Rises, which would be oh, the right. next film from uh, Christopher Nolan. Uh, so the plan... Well, first Cobb slips a sedative into Robert's drink, which kind of allows the rest of the team to set up with their little dream-sharing briefcase that everybody hooks into. Yeah. No limit to the amount of uh, participants, I guess. Yeah, I guess not. Because if, if anything, we learn from Yusef's basement is it's, it can be like a community, right. basically. So whose dream do we go into first? All right, we'll get there. Okay. So the plan is to take Fisher into a shared dream within a dream within a dream in order to plant the idea to dissolve his father's company in his brain, remaining undetected and arranging it so that he will believe the idea was his own. Which is imperative because if he feels an outside influence, it won't work. Right. The idea won't grow naturally and he'll always associate it as coming from a foreign source and thus he won't do it. So at each dream level, the person generating the dream stays behind to set up a kick, which we talked about in part one, that will be used to awaken the other sleeping team members from the deeper dream level. To be successful, these kicks must occur simultaneously at each dream level, a fact complicated due to the nature of time, which flows much faster in each successive level. I do love that the random flight attendant on this flight is kind of just like in on it. Well, they make reference to it that they need to buy out the first 
uh, or the first class cabin attendant or whatever. And Sato just says, well, I bought the whole airline. Yeah. I think this flight attendant that we only see briefly is like uh, Christopher Nolan's cousin or something like that. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Basically, the kicks are important because this is kind of an th- – this all leads into like an overall kind of weird thought that you have with this movie. It's like – so basically, you can get kind of trapped on one of these levels and what – I guess can happen is, I mean, we haven't quite gotten to the part that kind of shakes this whole idea up, but like you could get, you would end up staying on this level for, as we talked about in part one, I think dream level one was a week. Then it was, what was it like a month? Yeah, I guess. Okay. It was one week, six months, and then 10 years on the third level. So it's like, ultimately, as I, as I always point out, you will still wake up at a normal time. Right. 10 hours later when the flight is over or whenever the sedative in real life wears out, which would just be for the flight. However, mentally, it's like you just spent 10 years in this dream world or whatever. And it's funny, maybe I'm projecting this and maybe this isn't really how it is, but it feels to me like even though this idea of each level like time is longer in the movie it feels like the deeper they go the pace of the action uh is uh quickening like it's happening faster yeah i mean i think ultimately things kind of get complicated for various reasons that they weren't anticipating right which we'll get to as we kind of go through each level but i think it's safe to say that shit kind of doesn't really go yes planned. the plan uh falls apart so the first Dream level, dream level one is Yusef's dream, and it takes place in like the rainy streets of Los Angeles, which is kind of weird because it doesn't really rain a lot in LA. They kind of joke about Yusef needing to pee or something, and that's why yeah, it's I, raining. I, right? Is that what is that joke supposed to mean? I think like if you're asleep and you're dreaming and you have to pee, like there's often water in okay. the dream. Right. I don't know. It's it, it's kind of just a th- like a little throwaway yep. joke. I don't really think we're supposed to read all that much into it, other than it kind of sets up for like a cool setting. Like, yes. You're kind of like, okay, it doesn't really rain a lot in L.A. This is kind of like a weird situation. So in this rainy Los Angeles, the team abducts Robert, uh, who's trying to catch a cab. It turns out that Robert's projections, the people that are populating this dream, are armed and attack them. As it pretty quickly, yeah, it turns out that they've been trained to defend against this kind of intruder, which is something that we haven't heard of this before. But no, they do. They talk about it in the first dream with Saito. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because he has the same thing, right? So basically, uh, this was something that Arthur was supposed to find out during doing his research, and he didn't. Yeah, for some reason. Now, granted, this kind of flies by pretty quickly in the movie. I know that some people have kind of latched onto this as something important for their theories. I don't know. What, the for fact some that reason, Arthur misses it yeah. is important? Yeah. Like, how could he have? So that's, that means it has to be something else? Yeah, basically. I guess. As they're kind of... It is like, what the fuck does Arthur do? And then it's like, okay, I guess this is one of the things he does, but he doesn't do that well. <laughs> well, I think people point to the fact that when Cobb first goes and meets Eames in Mombasa, Eames calls him a stick in the mud, and then Cobb's like, yeah, but he's great at what he does, and Eames is like, yeah, the best. So they're like acknowledging how great he is at his job, but yet 
somehow the most this important giant detail, piece of information. The most dangerous thing that's going to happen to them. Now, why is it dangerous? Well, we'll kind of get there. Because well, that's typically true. if you get killed, you would wake up. But obviously things are going to turn out differently. So as they're driving along, uh, Cobb and Ariande are in one car. Eames, Saito, Yusef, and Arthur have abducted Fisher in another car. Yep. A train bursts through the streets <laughs> unexpectedly and Ariane is like what the fuck like I didn't design this or whatever so all this like almost immediately shit is going awry because now we have a train bursting through and obviously the train is something we've seen in some of Cobb's dreams we know it has some significance right. we don't know what yet obviously we heard Maul's ridiculous riddle <laughs> so how it, did this go uh, bad so quick though what? Like, Maul's what? just been waiting. She's right. just chomping at the bit. It's like I know when I sleep, I have like thirty-eight malls waiting yeah. for me to ruin my <laughs> life. That's the thing. It's like they're barely into the dream, and somehow Cobb's uh, subconscious has blown up right at the beginning here. <laughs> so, due to the gunfire from the uh, armed and militarized projections, uh, Saito ends up shot and wounded. And this will all lead to what I referred to as the limbo revelation. Um, Oh, nice. Good work by you. Basically, what will typically happen when you enter these shared dreams or whatever, if you die, you wake up and it's no big deal. You're kind of just like, if you were on this mission, you know, you would just pop back up into the plane and be awake and you'd be out. And it's kind of like a video game multiplayer and someone dies and it's like, all right, well, they're done. So... The thing that's different here is that because they have planned to go three levels deep, Yusef has concocted a sedative that is so strong that you won't wake up if you die in the dream. And instead, you will fall into what they refer to as limbo, which is raw, unconstructed dream space. And you would kind of just be trapped there for an undetermined amount of time. Like, it could be decades centuries who knows now am i wrong about this that they could is it a set kind of thing that really three layers deep is as deep as you can go and then it's limbo or not i guess yeah okay it feels that way but well Cobb is kind of the expert when it comes to this stuff and this is like information that we only can kind of get piece by piece throughout the duration of the film which is like because of his past experiences experimenting with Maul, he is like familiar with all these different levels of dream space and he has been to limbo before and he's the only member of this crew that's been there and understands all of these things uh, has intimate knowledge of it really mm-hmm. spent a lot of time there now Saito is shot in the cab that they've abducted and it's just like why, why do we bring this guy and you can't last five minutes without getting shot so he's you know, wounded and in distress, what if they would have just shot Saito before this revelation is dumped on them? You know well, what I mean? Like, what if they would have just been like, well, we know what the rules it are. It wouldn't matter. The result would have been the same <laughs> as to what does happen. I know, but they act like it's a big deal yeah. or whatever. So, yeah, this is information that Yusef knew, and he, I guess right. he told They're Cobb. They're about to shoot him, and Cobb's like, no, wait! Yeah, Cobb kept this information from everyone, but he throws it in Arthur's face about not knowing that the subconscious of oh, uh, yeah. Robert was going to be militarized. The so, I mean, they're, game they're all yelling here. at each other. Things right. are kind of already unraveling. We are not prepared for this. 
the big, I, I think we should point out before moving on that the big fear with Limbo is beyond even just the insane amount of time that you have to spend there mentally is that the dreamer risks forgetting that they are in a dream, which I guess is like the most damning thing that could happen because then you'd never seem to come out, I guess. I don't know. And and then eventually, because back in the real world, that they time, are going to wake up. But their mind will be scrambled and gone forever, basically. They'll basically lose their mind. Okay. So Sounds fun. Yeah. Eames does his uh, Peter Browning impression. So now, you know, we see uh, Tom Berenger instead of Tom Hardy. They do a whole thing where they, you know, he's yelling out as if he's being tortured and uh, Robert's in the other room. They bring him in. You know, there's kind of some talk about the father-son relationship between Maurice and Robert. Basically, the big revelation here is that their father-son relationship is fucked. Yeah, like, it's it, not good. It was pretty dark. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Disappointed. It, <laughs> he was like, you know what my father told me when my mother died? He said, Robert, there's really nothing to be said. <laughs> and he's like, well, you know, he had a difficult time with his emotions. I was 11. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it was he's right though. W- what can you say? While they're ch- you know kind of laying the groundwork for what they're doing with Robert, uh Ariadne gets Cobb to talk about Maul and Limbo, his Limbo experience. It was basically the two of them were working together to explore the concept of a dream within a dream and Cobb kept pushing them deeper and deeper, not understanding the consequences. Eventually, you know, they washed up on the shores of their own subconscious in limbo. <laughs> That's an interesting way to describe it. They lost track of what was real. Um, they were down there together for what, in their experience, was 50 years, creating their own world. But eventually, Cobb couldn't live with the idea that what they were living in, their world, so to speak, wasn't real. And Cobb said something to the effect of, like, she locked away a secret deep inside herself, something she once knew to be true but chose to forget. And Limbo becomes her reality. And once they got out of this, they were like old souls thrown back into youth again. And she was convinced that the real world wasn't real and that she needed to kill herself to get out of the dream. And he talks about this whole anniversary suicide plan. Oh, yeah. It's like, what a fun anniversary. What a fun relationship they had, really. I mean, I've experienced some anniversaries that were only slightly less ridiculous <laughs> and dramatic. Yeah, just girls that wanted to kill themselves. Or me. Right, yeah. And, you know, we kind of get a flash to that thing. And as we kind of talked about in part one, you know, the whole thing where the room is like all fucked up and he comes into it and she's not there and, and she's out on like the ledge across, um, you know, f- uh, seemingly a, a, from a different building, which right. you think would like fuck up whatever plan that she was trying to concoct know, of making it look that. like. Yeah, I mean, I, it seems like they'd be able to tell that she fell from the ledge of a different building than the one that she constructed a whole crime scene in. I don't really know. It seems crazy. I don't really understand why, if she thinks that they're dreaming, why she would, like, do the fake crime scene thing. To, because, well, she explains it. She says, because he's like, what the fuck? Why would you do this? And she's like, to free you from the guilt 
that you're experiencing right now of like leaving your children of abandoning the children oh, so like right. that okay, you would yeah, do it too like, to give him no choice but to follow her right she wants him to kill her himself too to join her in what she thinks is going to be the real world and on the ledge once she's on the ledge she says i'm asking you to take a leap of faith which i just can't get over that that yeah. is the exact same phrase that saito uses to yes to launch this whole bullshit and it's just like why is that the same all right is I, saito I mall the I... whole time <laughs> I don't know what what would Saito's uh, interest in this be, but I Saito guess... isn't real, right? <laughs> There's a forger. <laughs> Maul is a forger. And she... Yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll get to that. So I love. I do love that he's like she had herself declared sane by three different psychiatrists. <laughs> it's like what? Yeah. <laughs> Those are uh, what a point to prove. Can you just really? go to psychiatrists and be like, I need you to declare me yeah, sane, please? Do a test on me. Yeah, what what are the parameters of this test to determine her sanity? But also, as we kind of already, you know, because the movie jumps around and there's all these different flashes and we had the experience of Ariande crashing into Cobb's dreams that we talked about in part at the end of part one. So we've already seen the scene of him leaving his children for the last time and that random guy handing him a plane ticket. Oh, right. Here you go. Who this are these one people? chance to get out of the country, but you got to go with me now. If if Maul was so good at what she <laughs> and he's was like, trying to do... who are you? If Maul was so good at what she was trying to do, who were these people that were believing in Cobb? Why didn't everyone just assume that he killed her? If she was so good at this. If she convinced all the authorities across the board and that to the point where he's going to have to flee the country to avoid this... Wouldn't it... Detective why would be anybody like, believe him? Why was she so compelled to go to three psychiatrists? Yeah, that seems suspicious. Right. I would be like, something's up with that. And she like filed a letter with their attorney saying that he had threatened her and she feared for her life and all this stuff. You know, whatever. But Yeah, it's it, almost like a gone girl situation. <laughs> we are back to the Rosamund Pike thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say that uh, when I was doing my research for Inception, I was coming across people, some different writers, and one of the, I did see a comparison to Louis Bunyal's work, including Belle de Jour, because none of this yeah. surrealist thing where you can't tell what's real and what's like a fantasy and all this stuff, and kind of the blending of the two. Yeah, you hear those uh, bells. <laughs> Mary yeah. Cattard says Instead something like- about uh, cats and then jumps off a building. Instead of like bells and cats, it's like trains, trains and kids. <laughs> <laughs> so they eventually end up sedating Robert again on this level of the dream, and everyone loads into a van. I mean, there's some details with like what they say with Robert. I mean, it's kind of irrelevant, really, because it's most it's really just a ruse. There's really because they're acting like they need him to know a combination for a safe, but I mean, there is no safe. This right? Is all, they're all, they're all playing this game. So then, is this idea with the is the number supposed to play into it? I know it it comes into play at the other levels of the dream. It seems like, but it's not even like he later uses this number for like the safe or anything, right? No, I think he does. Oh, does he? Okay, All right. I think then that's what I, it is. I think the idea is to get him to just say a number, so it's his creation, right? I think they don't really explain it, but I'm guessing that that's what they want. So on dream we. Once inside the van, we we head into dream level two, which is Arthur's dream, which is kind of just a big hotel. 
they kind of run through this whole scheme that they have where it call, they refer to as Mr. Charles, where Cobb pretending to be... Well, yeah, they've gone into kind of a plan B here. I, well, I, it's not clear if it's plan B or if there was a plan A. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. He, he kind of just like, is like, I think this Mr. is what we Charles, should do. And Arthur's like, I, I don't think we should do that. Yeah, right? well, it seems like Cobb is kind of just like coming up with this on the... I don't know. Yeah. But but I mean, in Cobb's defense, it seems to kind of work. Once again, originally, like, when everyone finds out that the, the stakes have been elevated here, there was some initial pushback, but then it's kind of just back to, all right, well, we got no choice here. I mean, he is right. We don't have a choice. We have to do this. Yeah, basically, well, you know, whenever they find out about the, lim- the threat of limbo hanging over them, it's kind of like Cobb is like, well, we have to go deeper to go back up that's the only way up is to just follow through with the plan yeah. otherwise we have to wait out a week with all these projections bearing down on us because like they're they've kind of when they've abducted robert in level one they've kind of barricaded themselves into this like warehouse but the projections, projections are, are mo- closing are, in are moving in with like machine guns this uh, by militarizing the projections and stuff this allows for some crazy intense action sequences in a movie where there could very easily be none. So it kind of allows for this. Certainly. To, to and it's f- it's fun mostly once we get to the, the hotel level and uh, Arthur has to have a little right. sequence with these dudes. Yeah. So Cobb, pretend, he pretends to be like a... I, kind he, of like, like the leader of these militarized projections. Yeah, like the head of Robert's subconscious security. Uh, security. Yeah. yeah. Basically like... It's a risky proposition because he alerts Robert to the fact that he's he's not awake. Yeah, and you know, so Robert knows. It it is clear that Robert has been trained because he does know. He he thinks that if he kills himself, he'll go back up and wake up. And you know, Cobb has to tell him that isn't the case and all this stuff. But basically, he tries to convince Robert that he's been kidnapped by Browning by planting these ideas that. Did you see him being tortured? Basically, the idea is they're tricking Robert into thinking that whatever he had just dreamed in the first level was real. Yes. And that this is just the first level of a dream, the whole thing with the hotel. Yeah. And so the idea is that he's been kidnapped by Browning and that Cobb is actually his subconscious protector. You know, and by doing this, he's able to convince him that his own projections, Robert's own projections, are the ones out to get him. And he uses Fisher's memories of the first dream to trick him into thinking Browning was the kidnapper, convince Robert, and and thus be able to convince him to go down another level to explore Browning's subconscious. That's what he tells Robert. So now they make him, like, part of the team, really. Yeah, so now Robert thinks he's in on whatever's happening. So they're like, all right, so what we're going to do here is we're going to uh, take Browning, who's really Eames in disguise, and we're all going to dream together, and we're going to go down into his subconscious to figure out what's happening. But in reality, this is just a ruse to enter Fisher's subconscious. But he doesn't, you know, he's not aware. Right. You know, as this is happening in a hotel room, Cobb is still clearly haunted. He's seeing things all over the hotel. Maul is always ever-present. He's seeing visions of his kids. I do... Uh... He's, seeing, he's having flashbacks to that hotel room. Oh, yeah. Well, come on. With the broken Hard to forget. wine glass and then the now, curtains blowing in the wind and everything. I, I do enjoy the sequence 
in the hotel where Arthur is with Ariadne or whatever, and the projections are looking at them. And uh, he's just like, quick, give me a kiss. And she's like, they're still looking. And he's like, well, it was worth a shot. <laughs> yeah. It's like she kind of gives like, a weird smile. I do think it's funny, though, that Arthur has like way more sexual tension with Eames. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, the I mean, two of them Tom are Hardy, just, come on. The two of them are just always like bickering, but in right? a way that it's kind of like, are we going to fuck? Or? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Here's hoping. So dream level three is... Eames's dream and don't worry there's going to be more on level two because a lot of the film's most iconic moments are yet to happen on level two certainly but dream level three is a fortified hospital on a snowy mountain which seems insane now i will say i was talking uh to somebody about this movie the other day and they were like yeah i really didn't care for like what felt like a james bond movie sequence in the snow uh-huh. And I, I, I do kind of agree. I, of all the levels of the dreams, this is my least favorite. Now, it may shock you to hear that this was directly inspired by Christopher Nolan's favorite James Bond movie. <laughs> I can't remember. It which It does one have it is. that feel. Yeah, it it, it does. Um, it, but I think I can I can make an I, the only case I can make for it is that it's so different from the first two levels That's and true. that it's, it's clear that way it helps delineate right the different action yep. like the visuals need to be so different to keep the viewer aware of which level we're on cuz i mean uh, if you look at like the IMDb trivia, it's like in certain countries they had to put like indicators on the screen when they aired on TV to remind the viewer which level they're on and different oh, things yeah. like that. So I mean like I think like it's just kind of a way to simplify in the mind like right a very like it is different. Uh, it, it's just and once they get into the building and like things start happening, it, you're you feel back in the movie. It's just kind of like the start of the sequence does just feel so different than every other level, and uh, uh, maybe almost cheesy a little bit, but. I mean, obviously, we're not talking about, like, ruining the movie or anything. Just probably my least favorite of the sequences. Yeah, there's something that is, like, kind of fun, especially about level two, in that it feels, like, very contained. Yeah. Whereas this is just, like, it seems so random and wild and big that you're kind of, like, it's easy to kind of, like, lose the focus of, like, what they're even doing or trying to do. Right. Um, Basically, the team has to infiltrate it, infiltrate the fortified hospital, and hold off the guards as uh, Cobb takes Robert into his own subconscious. Basically, we cut back. Yusuf is still driving the van. He's under having hot a pursuit. hard time kind of keeping that thing going. I guess like you could make a case that the time difference makes sense here because it's like how long would he be able to do that? You know, it seems like right. he's it's really hot pursuit from the projections in level one. So he's kind of wildly driving the van around. Well, that's kind of what I mean, though. It seems like it's got to be like less than an hour or something on that first level. So like Arthur fights off uh, guards in the hotel hallway. And basically this cuts back and forth between Yusuf driving in level one and like the van kind of like topples over. A cliff and it's kind of rolling down a hill eventually landing upright thankfully but while it's like rolling it's kind of causing like the gravity in level two to be all over the place and so like just like an unbelievable fight sequence that kind of goes into one of the hotel rooms with one of the uh, projections in level two 
kind yeah, of flying all over the hotel room. One of the cooler things, uh, awesome effects, the way they did it was super cool. Uh, I will say it's sort of weird that the rules of gravity apply to this level too, right? I mean, why? Why is that, that the case? It's just it's just how it works with dreams. It's like kind of the same way the water came crashing through. Yeah. It's just like... But at le- level three, not impacted? It does cause, eventually, there's like the... Um, the avalanche? Yeah, the avalanche. Okay. I mean, I guess the entire world doesn't flip over. Yeah. But, you know, shit gets fucked up a little bit. Plus, I think the further away you are, the less impact. Because when Saito right. is able to make the jump into level two and then into level three, He's his like wound is not again. quite as bad. Yeah. But yeah, the Arthur's first fight in the hotel is like unbelievable and one of the iconic moments of the film and then you're like could this even be topped and then eventually they do another one in the hallway when oh yeah gravity goes off again and it's even better really so basically what happens is while they're trying they're in the process of figuring out a way to infiltrate this hospital Yusef panics back in level 1 and kind of initiates the kick too soon so we start to hear that Edith Piaf song uh once again he crosses like a a bridge that's like opening, like yeah. I guess you know how they open it's to like let a ship go up, right? Yeah, it's like how they the two sides go up so that a, a larger ship could pass or something. Yep. So the bridge is going up, and then you know he basically drives off the edge of the bridge, um, which causes Arthur's hotel to lose gravity again, and then the avalanche occurs in Eames's dreamed mountain world. And so Arthur basically has to improvise a new kick in zero gravity because now the kicks aren't going to be synchronized right because Yusuf panicked and went too soon, right. basically. Because he was, he was kind of trapped on that bridge and then he's facing gunfire from like one of the projections that's like gotten out of a vehicle and it's like advancing and it's kind of like he's running out of options in terms of holding him off. Yep. So, And that's kind of a fun scene, too, when... Arthur like opens the door and everyone's just kind of like floating in space and it's like oh how am I going to do this because originally they were going to what blow up the room beneath it yeah so he's got to try to figure out a way to use the explosives to set off this kick with no gravity so basically I guess the whole thing with the music is (laughs) and this is just kind of one of those things that they have to like make up a reason why this all works and there's something in the concoction that Yusuf has come up with, this sedative that allows inner ear function to yeah. remain unaffected. So that they so everyone can kinda hear the song as it's being like passed down from their uh dreamed selves on the first level or whatever, their sleeping selves. How do you on the think it level. was uh decided upon that this is the song? And not by Christopher Nolan, I mean within the constraints of the movie universe. In their universe, I don't know. In his universe, the lyrics basically translate to uh, Cobb's life, his okay. mission of like not of regretting, you know, not of not regretting things that you've done and didn't do, and all this different stuff, and about. And really, that's why Cobb was like, "We always use this song." <laughs> He's like, you know what? My wife won an Academy Award for portraying the singer Edith That's Piaf, right. which is one of my favorite weird things about this movie, but we'll get to that later, I guess. So 
Eames goes off on his own to try to fight off some of these projections and it really becomes like this like oh you know little mountain adventure movie like very james bondish oh yeah uh um, a lot of skis and uh automatic snowmo- weapons like uh, yeah guns and snowmobiles and so saito and robert head inside the hospital fort first this is where you can kind of get lost in the point of what they're doing because it's like it's just kind of funny to think that like saito is trying to plant this mind in this dude or plant this idea in this dude's mind to like ruin his own company. And here in this scene, it's like they're working together. Yeah. <laughs> well, they know the stakes as well. At least, uh, Saito knows the stakes. Of, yeah. Like they got to hurry up and get this done before he dies. Cause he's, you know, he's in slightly Rough better shape. health than he is in dream level one, but it starts to, manifests itself like he's coughing blood up on the snow and everything so while they they're able to get in first um because uh eames has kind of attracted all of the attention of the projections away from the fort ariande and Cobb are like watching from a distance through like a scope or whatever and maul shows up <laughs> great Cobb, positioned as a sniper can't pull the trigger oh my this is where you're just like Cobb, come on it's like, yeah, it's like, dude, you He's know... He's got to coach everyone up and it's tell like, everybody how they're, like, amateurs and what they're doing wrong, and it's just like, dude, she's dead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is one of those frustrating movie things where it's like, well, dude, you know that it's not her, but he hesitates, and she shoots Robert, and then Cobb, you know, mans up and finally shoots her. Yeah. Meanwhile, we cut over to Arthur back in Dream Level 2, and he's uh, bundled up all the Dreamers... And with like some sort of like I don't know like telephone wire or something, so. and he's he's pushing them through zero gravity and getting them into an elevator all tangled up together. Ariadne and Cobb get into the fort, and they convince Eames. Well, actually, no, just Ariadne. Really, she's the one that convinces Eames and Cobb that they should follow Robert into limbo and pull him back out. This is quick thinking she by kinda, her. She kind of sells I, it like we can still do the mission, but I think it's partly because she's a good person and she's like, we can't just like fuck this dude's mind. Oh up. right, like yeah. we should go get him if we can. Um, yeah. Can you quickly explain to me what their plan is here? <laughs> it's like they need to. They're going to go down to limbo. It. They have this, I guess, device that can revive. It's like a shock, like spark your well, heart. They can I use guess. it as a kick, right? To wake him back up. Right. But okay, they need that's to, what like, it is. They yeah. need to improvise a kick in limbo, which turns yeah. out to be easy enough, but they have to, like, synchronize it, so... So what's going to be the kick for Ames on the on that snow level? Well, he sets up the explosives underneath the... Are you talking about to get out altogether for yeah. Ames? Okay, so Ames doesn't go into limbo. Right. He goes to sleep. They go into his dream once they're on the third level, right? No, no, no. Oh, how do they get to Limbo? The two of them just go to sleep. Oh, Ariadne okay. And there is no... You don't need a... You don't need a... They just go to sleep? Yeah, you don't need... Because uh, it's unconstructed dream space. Like, there is no okay. subject but or But they're still in a shared space somehow. Because they're connected together with the machine. Okay. They have another... They seemingly just have these machines everywhere. Right. But it is <laughs> kind of weird, though, because... So what... As Eames? you can point, as as Eames has already proved back in level one where he 
dreams up a bigger gun than the one Arthur has. It's like it's you seemingly can just dream up new things. True. So it's like I guess if they didn't bring another dream kit with them, they could always just dream have one, one. Up. right? But it it does beg the question. It's like why didn't they dream up anything to treat Saito's gunshot wound? Yeah, that's a good level? point. <laughs> but um, dream up a medic. <laughs> so. Uh, um, Ariadne and Cobb go down to Limbo. They wash up on the shore, like we've seen a few times now in the movie, and they're basically surrounded by remnants of Cobb's old world from Limbo. Because as Arthur explained <laughs> way back in Dream <laughs> right. Level One, that it would be f- populated by anybody who had ever been to Limbo before, <laughs> or Which whatever. Is, in our case, is just you. Which is so crazy, and I mean, I will say, I love this movie. I I honestly think it's one of my favorites of all time. It, I think it's like a an unbelievable masterpiece. I mean, just the idea that this, you know, you start with a blank piece of paper and begin writing, and this is the crazy shit that en- oh, you end up with. Yeah, there's the so end. many layers to it. It's just an unbelievable accomplishment. But this movie is guilty of just throwing information. Making it up as we go. Yeah, well, just the way that it... it it doesn't really have a smooth way of oh. of revealing these things to the right. audience. It's just randomly a character will just shout out new information, and it's just like, oh, okay. So basically, we understand that since Cobb has been in Limbo before, all of the crazy buildings that him and Maul had built during their time there are still kind of there, but they're collapsing a little bit just from age, I guess. While they pop into limbo, Arthur is prepping the elevator that he's pushed all of the dreamers in in level two. Uh, he's going to set up an explosion to send the elevator, you know, sliding through the passage or whatever. Projections are closing in on Eames and a dying Saito in level three. And the van is still plunging toward the water in level one. So this is what we were talking about, where the time difference finally starts to mean something, because it's taking fucking forever for this van to hit the water. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of open, unanswered questions about Limbo. I mean, it doesn't really... (laughs) I know, you're just like, well, it's unconstructed dream space. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. Yeah, I mean, it's kind (laughs) of just like, well, if it's so big, it's like, how do they know that they're going to be able to find... Robert at all. And but it's of just course, like, Maul has him. And now Maul, who we thought was just like a projection from barging in from Cobb's subconscious, now because he shot her, she's in limbo too, but she's guess, a projection? It just seems like she can be anywhere. <laughs> she's omnipresent. Right. So Cobb says to Ariande here, an idea is like a virus, resilient, highly contagious the smallest seed of an idea can grow it can grow to define or destroy you and as he's saying it they're kind of riding an elevator up to where he instinctually knows that maul will be it's this place that they've built in their minds together back when they were in limbo I will where say, it's kind of like a house but it's like in a high-rise apartment building which can't exist in reality but can exist in their dreams yeah it's pretty cool but uh, really kind of stark place that's going on here. Because it is, like, so big and, like, these giant skyscrapers, but populated by no one. Right. And it's just uh, got such a cold existence. So as Cobb is saying that to Ariadne, 
Maul finishes the smallest idea such as your world is not real. A simple little thought that changes everything. And so we kind of head in towards now the confrontation face-to-face between Maul and Cobb that we've seemingly been building towards. And this is where Maul points out that Cobb's real life is a lot like dreams. He's persecuted by anonymous corporations and police forces across the yes. globe. And it kind of, in a weird way, has takes on like a very meta feel because as you know, Matt pointed out... The like, viewer. He was kind of just like... This seems weird and not real whenever they were being pursued in Mombasa. Yeah, I mean, and it kind of makes you start to question a lot of those interactions and weird things that weren't quite making total sense that, you know, if you just took one little piece of it, you might just accept. But when you add them all together, you're like, this is like very weird. Like, what is Cobb's life? Like, it doesn't quite make sense. You know, how are his kids calling him? How do they even know where he is? Like, you know, if he's doing some, if he's on the run, it's like, would he risk like letting people know where he is? And like, I don't know. It's just like, it's so crazy. And she's kind of just like turning it around on him. And it's like, your life is a lot like dreams. Like, how do you know what's real and not real? And the projection of Maul, really a lot to say, very philosophical. Right, and I mean, I guess if you're going to take everything at surface value, I mean, these are, you could interpret this as like the doubts. His thoughts? Yeah, the doubts that he's having, and he, you know, he's so fucked up over what has (laughs) happened that he's questioning everything, too, and that's why, you know, throughout the early part of the film, he's spinning that top all the time and all that. We've gone through so much at this point, and then it's like, he's also revealing to Ariadne or whatever, like how much time him and Maul spent down in limbo. And it just seems like his mind must be like so fucked up at this point, even though he's like selling it to everyone, like he's kind of normal still. So basically this is where we find out the big reveal that Cobb knew Inception was possible because he had done it to Maul. Her totem was the top. He spun the top in a safe in her childhood home, it's like in her bedroom. They they had built up their all the places they'd ever lived together, plus like her childhood home. She had a safe in it. That's where he knew she was keeping like her deepest this- secrets. So he spun the top in the safe to kind of be this deep down reminder that this world isn't real because the top never stops spinning. Right, and this was because she was getting a little carried away. Well, she forgot. Yeah, that they were in a dream. She she had embraced this limbo as their reality, and he was like, "No, we got to go back because we, you know, we have lives we have kids." To live. And so, in this like flashback, we see their heads on the train tracks, waiting for the train. And this is when Cobb says, "You're waiting for a train." And we find out that this riddle that she said to Ariadne in that one dream sequence is something that Cobb had said to her whenever it was time for them to leave limbo way back when. So Maul is like, all right, I'll give you Robert if Cobb stays with me. And, you know, Cobb... I like how Projection Maul is, like, cutting deals. <laughs> well, she just wants to have Cobb with her and yeah. to fulfill the promise of when they were married of growing old together. Arthur initiates the kick on level two, and 
I think at this point, Ariadne finds Robert on the balcony outside the room that they're in, kind of overlooking this, like, you know, blank, desolate city. Right. Cobb rejects Maul as not the real thing, and Ariadne shoots Maul and pushes (laughs) Robert. Improvising. Yeah, pushes Robert off the side of the building, jolting him back to level three. She's just like, shut up, I've heard enough. And this is in coordination with Eames shocking him back to life with like those paddles. Robert then is now back conscious in level three and enters the secure room that was in the hospital, which contains his father dying in a hospital bed. His father says he wasn't disappointed. Robert couldn't be him, but he was disappointed that he tried, which is kind of like the cathartic moment that they're looking for. Because ultimately, for Inception to work, it should be more based off of the positive rather than the negative. Right. I, I think it's something that you know Eames has said. Ultimately, a human being, I guess, especially a grieving one in Robert's position, is looking for a cathartic release, and thus now they've been able to give it to him. Robert opens the safe, finding the will, the second secret will that they've kind of planted this idea of over time through the certain levels. And there's also like a paper windmill from Robert's childhood that we've seen a picture of. And by doing this, he is basically discovering and accepting the planet idea. That's what we're supposed to take from him opening the safe and finding the will and finding the... Yeah, I am just like, uh, a windmill? What does that have to do with anything? It was from that picture. Yeah. The one that when Eames was first learning Browning's mannerisms, mannerisms, um, and Maurice is still alive, he knocks it off the thing and the glass breaks and... Browning, the real Browning is like, oh, it must be a treasured memory. And he's like, Robert's like, I put, I put, that, put there. that there. Yeah, <laughs> it's that picture. And on every level, because they keep stealing his wallet and doing all that stuff, it's in his wallet. Like, it's just, it's an important memory yep. for Robert. And so finding out that his father has actually kept this treasured thing from the past right. means that he did love him. Even though it, the kind of the sad thing in this movie is that none of this is actually real <laughs> and that the relationship between Robert and his father was actually as terrible as we were led to believe. But it's like, okay, so the revelation is he did actually love him, so therefore he should go break up the company. Because of the will, the yeah. one saying... And, he, you know, and the words that he says, which are that he... was. They take something that Robert admits that he heard the word disappointed or whatever, and so they, they spin it to be his father. He says he wasn't disappointed that Robert couldn't be him. It was that he was disappointed that he tried, meaning like he didn't yeah. want him to be him. To be this monster. I guess, yeah. Eames sets off the explosions on level three underneath the secured fort thing that they're in, and then Arthur has already set them off on level two, propelling the elevator forward. Cobb decides to stay in limbo, but not because of Maul. He says he's going to try to find Sato, who he is he's guessing has succumbed to the gunshot wound by now because just too much time has passed. Yeah. And this is when And there Ma- is a sequence on level three where he kind of looks at Ames or whatever and he's like, uh, is Sato gonna make it or whatever? And uh Ames looks at him not so reassuringly. <laughs> he's kinda like Phew. No. Yeah, it's it. So you know they know that Saito is going to slip down there, so they're going to have to pull him out. And basically, Cobb, you know, needs him to come out, or else he's going to get arrested when they land in L.A. I mean, that's the whole motivation behind Cobb's right. character. 
But we do get that moment between Cobb and the dying Maul after she was shot, and you know it's kind of it, it, it's kind of a shockingly emotional montage of their time together. And he's like, "Are we supposed to take it that this projection truly dies?" Like, well, it's it, tricky. If he dreams again, will Maul not be there? Well, I guess it depends on how you look at it. I mean, you could say that he's coming to peace with this now. Maybe his brain is accepting her not being a living character anymore. I think he's having that cathartic moment where he's admitting what he did, which was the Inception idea, but it's not truly his fault because, you know, there was no way to know that it would carry over into the real world Uh and that she would do what she would do. But he's made, you know the whole wedding promise of growing old together and spending this time together has already happened. He's like, we had our time together. Don't you remember? And then they cut and they show us a lot of those same sequences of their time in limbo together, except now they're aging. And when they lay their heads down on the train tracks, they're not Leonardo DiCaprio and Marion Cotard. They're old because they did grow old together. They spent all of that time in limbo. They basically had what amounted to an entire married life together yeah. because they spent that time in limbo. And so they could have had even more time, but you know, the crazy bitch had to jump out the window. <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> so now finally, after all of this time, and I think at this point, so if the listeners your, are saying, if the, if this is like your first viewing of the film, you have it's very disorienting to be thrown back here because it's like who could even remember this, but you're we go back to the opening scene with the aged Sido and looking pretty scary, actually, with the <laughs> yeah. straggling white beard hairs. <laughs> yeah, it's like, don't they have fucking razors and Seriously. limbo? Get it together. And Cobb has come to remind him of their agreement and to basically pull him out. And we don't, and I think this is, you know, where the movie kind of gets so tricky and people have such a hard time with this ending because we don't see how they get out no we just got a gun there so you're kind of thinking that they both that they shot themselves right like you can easily come up with how they could pull themselves out of this but we don't know what they're how they're navigating through each of the levels if they can go we don't really know quite how limbo works because we know that like mall and Cobb. Plus, at any given point, they could theoretically throw just like a new rule at you, and you'd have to be like, "Oh, okay, yeah." So we know that like Maul and Cobb woke up from limbo once, but we don't really know how that all played out either. So it's like, can you jump from limbo straight to being awake again? I don't know. That that isn't how it worked for anyone else. We had to go through all the levels, but now all the kicks have already gone off, and Cobb has stayed behind with Saito. So we don't know. But yeah. the next thing. Everybody is waking up on the plane, which I think people have a hard time remembering that this would happen no matter what. Right, yes. No matter what has happened in these dreams and no matter what the ending means, this this is going to happen one way or another eventually. Yeah. Now, it's just a matter of what happened in the meantime and will Saito honor the deal. But I understand they're all under a sedative, but... Are the people that were in, I, I, I don't know, is the 
van crashing into the water supposed to be happening like simultaneously with the sedative wearing off? Um, I guess, but not maybe not necessarily. So like they're all they're all waking up with the van crashing into the water. Not because the Well, they swim out of the van though. Oh, they do? Remember? Because then oh. there's the scene where So crashing into the water in the van doesn't wake them up. It wakes them up from the second level. Oh, okay, right. And the elevator woke them up from the third level, and I don't really, I, I don't know. I, I'm not really sure. Maybe because why do they ex- make explosions in the third level? I don't know. So I, I'm not really sure what, why they all swim out of the van. That's true. Yeah, I guess like always, so much has happened at this point that it's like, okay, yeah, it is easy to lose track. But yeah, they they do have that conversation between Eames, who's still browning looking like browning and and robert where robert's like i am gonna break up the company and he's confirming that the idea took hold which is weird though because this information is not conveyed to saito in any way so when he we do get the final sequence of everybody waking up on the plane and saito kind of is disoriented but he he does take his phone out and makes the call it's like what does robert think is happening (laughs) like in level one where he's just woken up from this dream where he finds the windmill in the safe and now he's in a van that's crashed and he's just telling browning that he's gonna break up the company (laughs) yeah but then he wakes up on a plane right but i guess the idea is if you can go deep enough you make them believe that it's real yeah i I guess so like it's 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 kind of fuzzy as to like how that all works because you kind of are taking a leap of faith yourself by believing oh, there that you go. an idea that you got from a dream is something that you're then going to take and do in real life. I don't know if it always necessarily would work like that, but that's kind of the logic at play here is that if they can make this seem like an organic idea that even if it comes from a dream, I guess that he would still do it. I don't know. But th- that's the weird thing though, is that this information is never conveyed to Saito yet Saito makes the call as if everything is fine so basically Cobb's charges are fixed or whatever and Cobb successfully goes through immigration and returns home and it, you know Professor Miles is there and yeah he beat him there it basically looks like nothing has changed from his house in his house from the last time we saw it in a dream and he spins the top but then he sees his kids outside and they and look ign- the same they look kind of the same they do and it's always debated Honestly, like I see different people point out, it's funny. Like no matter what side you take on all these things, it's like you can find people just claiming things one way or the other that seem to confirm these beliefs. Yet you're like, no one can get on the same page. Like where are you getting this information? Because some people are like, they're definitely different uh, actors. Oh, that's right. I read that before. Yeah, but but I don't know if that's true or not. (laughs) Yeah. But they they are slightly different from what they were before. I think their clothes might be okay. different colors. I don't know. Something's different. So something has changed. But they do spin around, and he actually sees the faces of his kids and ignore, and thus ignores the result of the spinning top. And so I guess it doesn't matter anymore, right? Yeah. And the last shot of the film is the top spinning. It I feel like to- it's definitely taking a dive there. Yeah. I mean it. It falters, I would say, like a little bit. See, I always thought that in the dream world that the top just kind of spins uh, continuously 
never really like taking a dive at all. Yeah, you could interpret that the wobbling that it does is enough to indicate that by those rules, which we are... Yeah. <laughs> but that, Now it brings up the bigger question in... of, was this ever a valid totem for Dom? It seems crazy to me that this is his totem if it was Maul's, because despite the fact that Maul is dead, he has a projection of Maul, and his projection of Maul will know everything that... Cobb knows that Maul knew, which is including anything to do with the totem. So it's like, wouldn't, oh, right. wouldn't if anyone was going to be fucking with Cobb as far as if he's dreaming or not, wouldn't it be this evil projection of Maul? <laughs> the one think. person that knows the totem? Some people have argued that uh, his totem is actually his wedding ring, which we see him wearing in dreams, but not in reality. I don't know. I've never actually paid that close attention to the wedding ring. What would that stuff. mean, though? Like, if he has the wedding ring on, then it's a dream. But if he's not, if he doesn't have it on, right? Okay. And so people have said that he's not wearing it at the end, which indicates that he's not in a dream. Other people have said that Professor Miles is never in a dream, and then he's at the end. I mean, people have different things to support. That he's not dreaming. Some people. But have, why couldn't he be in a dream? I don't know. There's no reason, right? But like, you know, it kind of. It's hard to argue any one point when it comes to this movie. I think one of the you more, could poke holes in anything. I think one of the more interesting interpretations is that the mission that they're on is not real, and that what's actually happening is that this team is performing Inception on Cobb and he's right he's this is like a fake mission to make him think but then you are like why do we have these scenes with Arthur explaining things to Ariadne I don't know because maybe she didn't know this stuff okay maybe not (laughs) maybe Miles well if if there is an inception going on with Cobb it would probably be at the behest of Miles who is I guess Maul's father I, that, that relationship led to believe, is very right. weird so some people have said oh well this is all a, a thing to find out the truth as to what happened to Maul which would make sense because like I did point out it's like who are all these people that are just believing Cobb's story right off the bat you know what I mean it's oh like, yeah if everyone is assuming he killed her as far as like the authorities go why would Maul's parents or you know, friends of the family or whoever, like, actually believe Cobb's version. So it's like, maybe they don't fully, and this is, like, a way to find out. Um, Another is, the other idea is that perhaps the Inception is to make him come to grips with what happened to Maul and, like, get him... Like, back to normal, stop focusing on it. And, like, this world that he was living in was kind of... Not quite a dream, but not quite reality. Because but then where are we left with at the end? I mean, I don't know. Is that airport the first time he's been in the real world? I mean, it seems like he would be back to whatever dream level he was in before they went into... Well, no, no. He wasn't in a dream world before, but the inception is to get him to accept what's happened with Maul. Okay. I don't and know. it's I being mean... led by Sato? No, it's being it, it, well. No, it's it's really being led by Professor Miles, but from like a distance. 
Okay. But this is just like speculation because obviously there's not enough. You know, Michael Caine's in the movie for three minutes. I mean, you don't really get a lot of information there other than that time where he's kind of pleading for Cobb to come back to reality. I mean, there's all kinds of different things because, you know, I think you could interpret like this whole going down all these levels and everything that happens between Cobb and Maul in limbo and, you know, all this stuff. It, it is kind of like he's he's on this journey that's almost separate from anything going on with Robert Fisher and any of that plan. Oh, like, for sure, and yeah. He, he's got to come to some sort of an emotional resolution in order to complete the, <laughs> yeah. the supposed he's mission. He's barely involved on. with the Fisher stuff. Yeah, it's like he's got to get this mall shit resolved. So it's like I could see why people would say, like, well, that's the main focus, and so there must be something else at play kind of supporting that idea and, and i do think that i think you could i think it's it's viable to say that that is happening whether or not it's intentional by any of the other characters that it's kind of the same idea oh, yeah. as what they're doing to fisher is like he's got to go all these levels deep to get this idea of what happened out into the open and accept it and and tell maul even though it's you know supposedly not really her like hey right we lived our time together and that and she in in his mind he's telling it to her and she's kind of thus able to accept that do you know what i mean as yeah. she's dying like this is what he wanted he wants to explain but ultimately it's all in his head because maul is if you're going by that timeline maul is actually really dead and so maul isn't anything but his projection his guilt is this thing that exists and he's got to go in there and tell this projection, which is really him, like, hey, we lived our time together and yeah, like something time to move on. Something got fucked up, but it's like I gotta keep living for our kids and you know, whatever. But I don't know. I mean, there's plenty of evidence to suggest that Maul is still alive and that Cobb is dreaming and that all of this is such random bullshit and like all the weird shit that seems to be happening in what we think is the real world doesn't quite add up and we've pointed that out throughout both parts of this podcast True. i mean but if it's like if maul jumped off that building and then woke up in the next you know in the regular real world when did Cobb ever leave that level he's still sleeping right but how does how is that resolved at the end of the movie it's not okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's under that it, under that particular set of guidelines. Yeah, that he's, he's still, still asleep. asleep. Okay, but now he's. It's almost like a bittersweet ending because he's just accepting the wrong reality because he's made peace with it, but he doesn't understand that he's never woken up in the first place. Right. Okay. I can. Okay. I, I can get and then with the, that. Obviously, the other more obvious. And like uh, alternate interpretation is that he's still in limbo with Saito. I don't know why that necessarily makes sense. I think people immediately go to that because of the top spinning at the end of the movie and that not being fully answered. And so people are like, "Well, he must still be dreaming if 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 we don't know." And or you know, that's the other possibility is if he's not awake, he must still be dreaming. So he must still be in limbo. I don't know how that quite makes sense though because. They're sitting at that table, and he's, or he's reminding still in, him. Uh, Yusef's den. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite because it's like under the rules of the movie, it's like we can only trust this top spinning thing, and he never successfully does it. So 
after that Yusef's basement scene in Mombasa, so he must still be there. Who yeah. knows? I That's don't know. the thing. It's, it's certainly like, a mind fuck. Yeah, it's like you've cre- it's basically like Christopher Nolan like created this maze that you can get lost in and every single passageway that you go down is another there's three different branches you could go yeah it's like well he could have never woken up here or there or this whole thing could be a dream or you know it could kind of be what we see but there's a secret mission going on or whatever there's all these different things that are hanging out there that it could possibly be and that ultimately is what makes a movie like this so interesting and so worthy of talking about so much oh yeah and it's like it's unfortunate that most of the you know big blockbuster movies that you get aren't anywhere near this kind of level in terms of thought provoking it's mostly you know straightforward stuff but somehow this was a huge massive hit (laughs) (laughs) and well reviewed and nominated for best picture um you know you could look at the movie as a metaphor for filmmaking and Nolan has stated kind of that, you know, basically uh, the roles of the Inception team are similar to the roles used in filmmaking. Cobb is the director. Arthur is the producer. Ariande is the production designer. Eames is the actor. Saito is the studio. And Robert Fisher is the audience. Okay. I like that. If you take the some of the first initials of some of the characters, you get like Dom, Robert, Eames, Arthur or Ariane, Maul, and Saito. You get dreams. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Fun uh, fact. The movie is two hours and 28 minutes long. Uh, Edith Piaf's Non Je, Je Ne Regret Rien, which is you know the kick song and runs throughout the film, is two minutes and 28 seconds. Perfect. So everything That's kind great. of syncs up. I didn't know that one. People have... People have kind of taken that and run with it because a lot of people think that the musical cues at various points are supposed to be indications of certain things. I don't know. I mean, you know, we're giving you like a little taste of this movie. You can get a snapshot. You can go way deeper with some of this shit. I, for me personally, I love some of the uh, meta things of the film. We talked about Maul pointing out what some of the audience might be thinking at that kind of crucial moment in the film. And it's like, yeah, well, what is that about? Right. And it's kind of like turning, it's kind of that first moment where if you're kind of experiencing this movie on a very surface level and it's like your first time, it might be the first moment where you start to really question everything. And you're like, well, wait a minute. Like what? She's making a good point. (laughs) Like, what is that about? (laughs) But I also love that, Marion Cotard played Edith Piaf. That is fun. In La Vie en Rose in 2007 and won an Academy Award. And that's the song that they happen to be using. Now, Christopher Nolan has said that he had wanted to change the song because he didn't want people to get that confused and, and it to be a thing. Confused. But, like, I think whether that's true or not, I don't know. I mean, maybe he's just saying that, but, like,. I do think it's just too perfect. It's just so weird and so random. And it's just like, it's almost like some sort of like, I don't know, like meta appendage like there added to, to the fuck movie. fuck with you. Yeah. It's just like, well, that's weird. <laughs> right. And it's just like, what is real? And is this all just like some... Who is the dreamer? <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. I hope that our 
you know, going through it has kind of uh, been entertaining for you. I I love certainly a fun movie it. to talk about. Yeah, I love talking about this movie. It's kind of a it, it anytime like it's kind of like one of those movies for me where if somebody is not down with it, I immediately like shut off. And it I'm is just, like, shocking. To I'm just me. like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's for me certainly one of the best movies I've ever seen. I mean, going to see it in theaters, it was just such a phenomenon and just an unbelievable on every level. The the action, the visuals, the endless possibilities, the discussions afterwards. It's everything a good movie should be. Yeah, and I referenced throughout the two episodes, you know, like, oh, people were, like, critical about, like, the dreams not being how dreams work and blow. It's just, like, oh, what a boring, lame Baby criticism. Dreams. It's yeah. just, like, shut up. You didn't understand it, so you had to shit on it. But it's, like, I don't know. It's just, like, it, it to me, in a weird way, it's, it's like, pop. It's probably the most complicated movie Nolan's ever done, and yet at the same time, I feel like it's the movie that, with the possible exception of The Dark Knight, that should be the most loved. Like I think, like I think that like there's something for everyone, and that you can interpret it in so many different ways. And I, I don't know. I just think it's such like a masterpiece that I, I just I, it just blows my mind when people are not into it. I mean. It has a super high IMDb score, Rotten Tomatoes score. It was nominated for Best Picture. It made like nine hundred million dollars. Yeah, it's who not are we like, arguing with it's here? It's not like there's a lot of people, but it is. Right. Occasionally, you will see people like kind of shit on it. And it's just like what the fuck are you that is strange to me. Of all the movies, um, so yeah, thanks for listening. I think we'll uh, we'll be back with something a little less complicated to talk about. Yeah, right. Back uh, to our roots. <laughs> Bullshit. Yes. <laughs> Stupid bullshit. Absolutely. So, yeah, as always, follow the show on Twitter at Pod. Uh, subscribe on iTunes. Uh, thank you for listening. And, um, hey, why don't you tell a friend? Yeah, please. <laughs> we could always use one more download per episode. That would be great. All right, so uh, we'll see you next time.
And last night, I had another Monica Bellucci dream. 